Jesus wept. Come, O come, Lord Jesus, and be our guest. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. In a Mockingbird magazine article titled The Ubiquity of Grief, Episcopal priest Connor Gwynn writes, Here's the problem. Grieving never stops. The human condition is to grieve. We grieve our childhood, our family of origin, our hometown, our dreams for our lives, our significant other that got away our former, thinner self. We grieve our plans for the day as a child wakes up with a fever. We grieve our shattered expectations for our lives. To be human is to grieve. We are all grieving all the time, Gwen writes. But we work to convince ourselves that everything is fine. We put more hours in at the office, We reorganize the closet again. We start training for the full marathon this time. We keep busy so that we don't have to sit still long enough to realize that we are awash with grief. We are all grieving all the time. My friends, to grieve is to be human. And so we gather tonight at Lazarus's tomb our tombs to grieve. With Mary and Martha, with Jesus, we grieve. We weep. We come together tonight to be human together, though physically distanced, never far apart, even as we feel the acute sadness, pain, and confusion of dual pandemics. Yes, the unthinkable plight of more than a hundred thousand deaths by COVID-19 in the United States alone, along with the mutually magnified and persistent plague of what is nothing less than black death, the death of beloved black bodies, born not of viral contagion, but of the toxic, unaddressed spiritual and structural malignancy at the core of our nation, namely racism and white supremacy. Undeniable, on this, the anniversary of the massacre of the Charleston Nine, the martyrs of Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church, who were murdered five years ago tonight by a white supremacist terrorist at Wednesday night Bible study in the fellowship hall of their own church. So let us say their names. Clementa, Cynthia, Susie, Jackson, Ethel, DePayne, Daniel, Sharonda, Myra, saints of God, we say their names, mingled together with the names of the mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, kindred and friends, inscribed on our hearts in lament that they are gone 
and in frustration and anger, knowing that it shouldn't be this way. As we persevere through the wilderness of coronavirus, we grieve our inability to gather as customary in community around their bodies, to celebrate their memory, to bear witness to the lives they lived and the joy they shared, insisting that death will not have the last word. We have not been afforded this opportunity, and that stings. Many of us are sorrowing. We are indeed awash with griefs, general and specific, amidst the stench and sting of death's decay in the face of injustice. Like Mary and Martha, we may find ourselves crying out to God, Lord, if you had been here, if only you had been here, our loved one would not have died. If only you had been here. An accusation towards God, but an indictment we humans direct towards ourselves just as often as we point the finger at others and at ourselves. If only I had said something. If only we had caught the cancer sooner. If only she had gone another route. If only he had kept quiet. If only things were different. If only I had known. If only, if only, if only. Perhaps more often than blaming God, our behavior in the face of death exposes our deep desire at some level to be God and our lament that we are not. Dear saints, despite the grief and the terror and the confusion and the horrors that surround us, I actually have hope tonight. Real hope. And let me tell you why. My hope is in God. The one whom the psalmist declares is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. For weeping and sorrow may last the night, or forty nights, or four thousand nights, but joy comes in the morning. I have hope in God. And I believe that just as God can forge from the mountain of despair a stone of hope, so too do I believe that God can transform our grief into joy. So writes the prophet Isaiah, exchanging a garland of ashes for a crown of beauty, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. How can we allow hope to take root when we feel paralyzed? Well, I believe our call is twofold. First, the transformation of grief into hope demands that we accept and embrace the, the inevitable realities of death. Inasmuch as they demonstrate the mystery of God's grace and sovereignty, realities over which we are powerless. To move forward, we must find the courage to let go of all those if onlys, and accept that we are not God. We all die. 
and all we have, even life itself, comes from the grace of the God who both gives and takes away. But that's different than (laughs) telling ourselves trite platitudes that everything happens for a good reason and God just got another angel in heaven. Indeed, it is not to say that we are altogether powerless, for just as we must accept the inevitable realities of death, so too does the transformation of grief into hope demand that we resist the unnecessary and unacceptable realities of death inasmuch as they are the consequence of human sin and lawlessness. This twofold task of accepting the inevitable and resisting the unacceptable requires us, in essence, to acknowledge, indeed, that we are not God. We cannot change the past, but we are called to work for a more beautiful and just future than the one we would have come up with if we were God. We are called to work for God's kingdom vision, that beloved community in which love and justice reign. My friends, this is good news tonight. Our hope is in God, the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we gather. And I believe that it is a miracle that we are gathered together tonight. For there is no reason we should know the name of Jesus. A first century, peasant, dark-skinned, Palestinian Jew, violently executed by the state in a routine public crucifixion. There is no reason we should know the name of Jesus apart from Mary and Martha and Lazarus at the tomb, a grieving mother, confounded friends, and one who was very dead. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, There is no reason we would know Jesus' name except for these friends who believed in the power of love enough to have the courage to say his name again and again and again. For love has died, love is risen, love will come again. This is our battle cry. For Jesus is love, and there is power in his name. Jesus' name is means, literally, God will rescue the people. Rescue them from their guilt, from their shame, from their injustices, from all the tombs we make for ourselves. You know, presumably, Lazarus would eventually live only to die again, a human death. His momentary defiance of death but a foreshadow of Jesus' victory over the power of death and the grave forever. You know, I suspect that Lazarus' resurrection was as much for Mary and Martha as it was for him. I suspect that when Lazarus died that first time, that part of Mary and Martha died too. And so, let us say his name, Jesus, and let us say the names of those we love but see no longer. For to say their names is to join in Jesus' own protest 
against the powers of death and the grave. Indeed, grief is ubiquitous. But even more ubiquitous than the tears we shed and the weeping we endure is the God in Christ who weeps with us. God is very present. God is with us even now. And in this God, we are joined together, the living to the dead. And so let us say their names. For to say their names is to keep love alive in us. To say their names is to place our hope in the God who brings life from the dead. For as long as we say their names, as long as we say their names, death will not have the final word. <laughs>